Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Agent Dr. Fillmore, please call extension 192. Imagine you're going into the doctor's office for some tests. And how are you today? I just don't feel good. You've learned you have some kind of illness. Cancer, maybe, or a cardiovascular condition. And you want to know how it might affect you later in life. So we're going to take a little blood. In the future, your doctor might order up a genetic test, sequence your DNA, send the results off to a lab. Hi there. Yes, I'd like to request a pig, please. And order you up a pig. (laughs) One whose genes have been modified to be similar to your own and give you a peek into how that disease could progress as you age. Or maybe serve as a personal organ donor. We see a lot of value in pigs acting as almost surrogate parallel to human studies and asking the kind of questions you couldn't do it in the patient. From the Wall Street Journal, this is the future of everything. I'm Danny Lewis. Medicine is becoming more and more tailored to individuals. And these pigs could be one way to get us to a world where doctors can use patients' DNA to model disease, grow organs, or find new treatments. Stick around. Rapid expansion? We're ready. Worker shortage? We're good. Anything can change the world of work. A celebrity buys the company. Depends on who it is. But relax, we've got ADP. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to take on the next anything. Nothing says pig style like, well, the grunting and oinking of pigs. But these pigs aren't living in a barn, and they're not being raised for food. Blanche, Rose, and Dorothy have spent their whole lives in a special facility at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Instead of wood and stone, it's made of metal and concrete. And it's sterile. Literally. In order to visit these pigs, their caretakers have to shower and put on decontaminated clothes so they don't accidentally introduce any viruses or bacteria. It's like living in a lab, because these pigs are living science experiments. Their genes have been precisely modified using technology called CRISPR to help scientists better understand human diseases. Before CRISPR, it was not very practical and and not very efficient to uh, gene edit and create genetic models of pigs. Dr. Donan Sion Shanmuganayagam is the co-director of the university's Center for Biomedical Swine Research and Innovation Research. He's the leader of the project that created these golden girls. The first goal of the project was to model uh, genetic mutations that are found in humans in pigs and test the hypothesis that if we were to create the same mutation, that in the pigs would replicate the same sort of disease phenotype as seen in humans. Second, explore different therapeutic strategies. And third, uh, begin to understand how different mutations present the disease. 
For decades, scientists have used different animals as test subjects for human diseases and their treatments. We talk a lot about guinea pigs, of course, but these days, the most common ones are probably lab rats and mice. It works because large swaths of their genes are the same as ours, but rodents aren't always great models. With small animals, it's hard. Amy Doxner-Marcus is a health and science reporter at The Wall Street Journal. There's a long history of drugs working in mice, and then when they're attempted to you know, go into people, it, they don't work. And that's because our immune systems can be different, the size can be different. She says that for some complex medical conditions, like Alzheimer's disease and cystic fibrosis, scientists are turning more frequently to pigs. They're pretty easy to breed. They have large litters, and they also reproduce pretty quickly. You know, their pregnancies are around four months, so you could have a lot of pigs that you could experiment on. That's what Dr. Sean Muganayagam and his team are doing. I've actually used multiple different animal models over the years and, um, and finally settled on uh, pigs, particularly because of the, the translational value of those. He started out using genetically modified pigs to study heart disease. But then he met Charles Kinsitsky, an associate director for UW-Madison's Biotechnology Center. Having this conversation at this moment, it was just like, here's, the stars are aligning. Kinsitsky's son, Mason, was born with a genetic disease called neurofibromatosis type 1, or NF1. About 1 in 3,000 babies born in the United States have it. It's painful. And Amy says one of the hardest things about this disease is how differently it can appear from person to person, from increased rates of autism to debilitating and disfiguring conditions. Everything from tumors that grow in the nerve tracts, GI symptoms, learning difficulties, and it's a very complex disease in the sense that children that grow up in the same family and have the same genetic mutation can sometimes show different symptoms, according to NF1 doctors. When Kinsitsky started reading up on the disease after Mason's diagnosis, he found that there aren't many treatments, in part because the existing animal models aren't productive for this illness. He wanted to know if other animals would be better test subjects. And here was Dr. Sean Muganayagam at the same university. He asked whether I would be willing to sort of model an NF1 pig, you know, using the pig as the model, because it seemed that the existing road models uh, were a somewhat a barrier to their research because they were not really replicating the complexity of the disorder. So Kinsitsky proposed a project. What about creating pigs with the mutations that cause NF1 in humans? And so that's when we decided, well, we're going to figure out how to do this. It's been eight years since the NF1 pig project started. Doctors aren't going to be prescribing personal pigs anytime soon, but it's come a long way. To be clear, none of these pigs are based on Mason Kinsitsky. But Dr. Sean Muganayagam's team has engineered and bred more than 350 pigs, all with mutations documented in real NF1 patients to see what occurred in the mouse model, and then what would occur in the swine model, and then also what occurs in the human so we can use that as a, you know, a cross-comparison of models to see, you know, is the swine model better? Dr. Sean Muganayagam says the pigs very quickly started showing symptoms. They started showing the complexity of the disorder. I mean, from tumors, joint abnormalities, cardiac abnormalities, uh, GI abnormalities, even replicating some of the rarer things that are seen in one or two patients. Being able to study the pigs has given them a better understanding of NF1 like its relationship with gastrointestinal issues. Patients are usually on a tremendous number of medications, and that, you know, perhaps this is a side effect of medications. 
But when we see it in our pigs that are not on any medication and, and we see it consistently in our pig model, you know, we are putting more attention to this, saying this is really real, this is happening because of NF1. But right now, funding is a big problem. He says it can cost about $250,000 to modify and breed just one of these pigs. And caring for them with special diets and in clean, disease-free facilities costs millions. If you want to take one patient, you want to create that particular model and study it for the next, let's say, five years. We're talking about somewhere between five to $10 million in research costs. That's a hefty price tag for any medical treatment. And Amy says it raises questions about who would be able to afford this kind of healthcare for whatever situations might call for a personal pig, whether it's NF1 or something more common, like heart disease. If you're thinking about the potential for the pig to sort of be along for the ride of the disease, you know, to potentially live for decades with this condition, as you're hoping that these children will too, and, and trying to test interventions, you're talking about significant amounts of resources. Who's going to pay for it? Who can afford this? And, you know, these are questions that come up when regulators are assessing whether to approve a drug. That's just one of the sticky questions that experts need to answer before personal pigs can be used for complex medical research and treatment, both with regards to the pigs and to human patients. More on that after the break. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. So, pigs could be good for understanding human disease. But they're also on the cutting edge of organ transplants. In recent years, there's been a flurry of experiments seeing if genetically engineered pigs could be used as organ donors which Amy Doxer Marcus says could cut down the time people are waiting for a transplant. I've been writing for many years about organ donation because the shortage of human organs available for transplantation into the people that need them truly is a public health emergency. Almost 106,000 Americans are currently waiting for an organ transplant, according to the U.S. Health Resources and Services Administration. But over the last five years, only an average of about 38,000 organ transplants have actually taken place, leaving tens of thousands of people with failing kidneys or cardiomyopathy and others dying as they wait for a new heart or liver. For years, people have been trying to find out ways to increase the supply of human organs. But thanks to some advances with gene editing, scientists have been pursuing an alternative path, which is using animals, using pigs as potential donors. Scientists have tried using animal organs in the past, but our genes are different enough that they are quickly rejected by human immune systems. Now, though, advancements in genetic engineering technology over the last decade, like CRISPR, are making it possible for animal organs to actually replace human ones. I'd be honest, you know, I, I didn't know it would work or not. Dr. Nader Moazami is a transplant surgeon at NYU Langone Medical Center in New York City. 
He recently transplanted an altered pig heart into the body of a brain-dead person whose family agreed to go ahead with the experiment. Moazami says it worked. As soon as you restore blood flow, if there is any evidence of hyperacute rejection, you'll see it. Literally, the heart turns blue. Uh, and we didn't see any of that. We saw a normal functioning heart that at that moment, um, if you didn't know that this was a pig heart, you couldn't probably differentiate it anymore. The pig heart beat for 72 hours, the maximum amount of time the hospital's expert committee allowed for the experiment. Moazami says it's a huge leap forward. But these experiments also have some ethicists, like Dr. Nita Farahani, raising questions. The more we change animals um, or non-human animals to make them more like humans, the more complex the questions become. She's a professor of law and philosophy at Duke University. She studies the ethics of emerging technologies. You're starting to blur the line, essentially, in both directions, both because you make the animals more like humans and you make the humans more like non-human animals uh, by taking on those organs and changing the kind of characteristics of what it means to be human. Dr. Farhani says this technology could make it too easy to think about living beings as mere medical tools. And she thinks that should give scientists pause, especially if those genome alterations could have unintended effects. If one of the genetic changes that a lot of people are trying to make in, in pigs or other animals is to try to um, make them more genetically similar so that our immune system doesn't attack their organs as being foreign when we put them into our bodies. Presumably, we believe that those genetic changes won't change their cognitive or emotional capabilities. Dr. Robert Montgomery is the director of the NYU Langone Transplant Institute. He says there's no question for him. I get it, but I think... Saving a human life certainly, to me, seems far more compelling than a lot of the other reasons that, you know, pigs are slaughtered every year. He recently conducted one of the first experiments where genetically modified pig kidneys were transplanted into a brain-dead patient. I think if you had a child who needed a transplant, you certainly would understand that. And we just don't have other good options right now. I mean, my hope is that someday we can manufacture organs uh, and we won't need to use animals at all. And that's one of the things that we're working towards. Dr. Montgomery is intimately familiar with the stress of waiting to qualify for the transplant list. In the late 1980s, he was diagnosed with a genetic heart disease called familial dilated cardiomyopathy, the same condition that killed his father when Dr. Montgomery was 15. I had had seven cardiac arrests before I was deemed to be, you know, sick enough for listing for a heart transplant. So that's how bad things are. He finally got a heart transplant in 2018, 30 years after he was diagnosed. Dr. Montgomery thinks it'll be years before pig organs will be cleared by the FDA for use in living humans. And even then, it's unclear whether they will be used as a total replacement or just a bridge until a compatible human organ becomes available. But he believes it's a critical development for the future of transplantation. I can't even, you know, imagine what a difference it would make to be able to tell a patient that, you know, look, you're going to get a transplant. One way or the other, you're, you're you know, we're going to put a life-saving organ in you. I can't say that now. 
you know, all I can say is we'll get you on the list and hope for the best, right? And sadly, for the majority of the people, that, that is going to mean that they're going to die or get too ill uh, to receive a transplant. But that's a more immediate problem. Dr. Farhani says when it comes to using pigs as disease models, like for NF1, she's concerned about how much the people they're emulating should be entitled to know. We haven't created a human clone. We've just tried to um, model some of the genetic differences in the human and the pig. And so what is our degree of certainty that the person is going to develop the same things that we see in the pig? She thinks understanding that data will be very nuanced and require serious guidelines. If I was in such a research study where somebody was creating a pig that was meant to be genetically similar to me, I would want the information about what they were seeing in the pig with all of the caveats about um, whether or not that was predictive and how, how helpful that information is in predicting what was going to happen with me and what things I might be able to do to stave it off. I would also like the right to refuse to receive that information, which is um, I don't want it to be imposed upon me. Dr. Sean Muganayagam says these are good questions that he and his team are considering as they develop the personal picks. I think that's a, that's a real issue to really think about when we sort of create sort of avatars of, um, of people in terms of modeling diseases. They don't have an answer yet. And he says he wouldn't want to cause undue stress to a patient who may already be struggling. I think there's a way to move forward, but it's just, we just have to be careful about how we do so. For his part, Dr. Sean Muganayagam says the pigs at his facility are treated well. They're given special food, and even though they are more isolated than their barnyard counterparts, they have companion pigs and playtime with researchers. He also wants his team to treat the pigs almost as if they were patients themselves. It's one of the reasons they have human names, like Dorothy, Blanche, and Rose. And that goes back to one of the first NF1 pigs, who Charles Kinsitsky's son, Mason, named Tank. I would always tell him the story about a, a soldier who did everything he could to um, keep his community safe, healthy, and happy, and that soldier's name was Tank. Tank had tumors. The disease advanced, and he had to be euthanized. And, you know, that's devastating when you have a personal connection with these animals. They're kind of part of the family, per se, because they're, they have the same genetic disorder as your son. But Mason took it very well, and he, he understood the situation and the transition. The scientists were moved by this, and they took a hoof print from Tank, and they gave it to Mason. We have uh, 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 Tank's hoof print hanging up in his room. A doctor can't yet order up a personal pig for a patient, and using their organs for widespread transplantation in humans is still likely at least a decade off. But these questions are part of a process that could reshape not only human medicine, but our relationship with and understanding of these animals. The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Stephanie Ilgenfritz is the editorial director of The Future of Everything. This episode was reported and produced by me, Danny Lewis. 
Thanks to Amy Doxer-Marcus for sharing her reporting, and to Caleb Alvarado for the audio of the pigs in the University of Wisconsin lab. Our fact-checker is Aparna Nathan. Jessica Fenton is our sound designer, and Scott Salloway is our supervising producer. Thanks for listening.